What is going on, y'all? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and we are doing part two of the William Schufelt Robert Sykes podcast. Here we are in the recording studio again, similar to part one. This is going to be a video and a podcast, so if you're on YouTube, you can watch it. If you're on uh, iTunes or whatever podcast listening device you use, you can listen to it. We're good to go either way. William, how are you, man? I'm doing good, man. We, we had a good, fun day so far. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday was a good day. Today's a good day. We're just getting some good content. Had a good yeah. workout. Had a photo shoot. Photo shoot, yeah. By the way, if y'all go to livesavageapparel.com, y'all y'all going to see some awesome shots of William modeling our clothes. He <laughs> makes our clothes look good. <laughs> no, um, man. It's honestly <laughs> some really solid threads. I enjoyed it. Good, good. Well, today I figured we'd we like dive into, kind of like what we talked about yesterday, Let's dive into some of the more controversial topics in the keto space, the nutrition mm-hmm. space, the, the training space. Like what are some 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 buzzwords and just some some hot topics that you hear a lot of people talking about, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of confusion around. And we'll just do this kind of like, you know, bullet points. Like anything that comes to my mind, I'm going to throw at you and vice versa. We'll both answer each other's own questions and then just uh, see where the conversation takes us. So there's is there anything ton. in particular that you want to dive into first? There's a lot of different things. I mean, in terms of, I was thinking of artificial sweeteners. I was thinking of biohacking. I was thinking of training strategies, um, you know, sort of the training recommendations that people are given when they start keto. Mm-hmm. Like, what's your take on that? What's my take on that? Plants, the role of plants now. Um, plants have kind of always been that thing that just fly right under the radar. You know, everybody thinks they're great. Now there's a lot of people saying they might not be so great. So be cool to talk about all of that. Yeah, man. Let's dive into. Is there? What, what do you want to start with? You got something? Let's start with. Uh, let's start with protein and fat, because that's that's kind of one that's been hotly debated for a long time. Protein to fat ratios and macros, and you've got like a traditional ketogenic way of doing it, which is high fat, moderate protein, low carb. Um, and then there are some people that push more of a higher protein, moderate fat, low carb. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, what's what's your take on that? So. All this stuff is going to be super individualized, but I feel like there's mm-hmm. kind of general rules of thumbs that people could follow. So my take on protein and, and fat and the ratio between the two is if you're – like I've personally found out through self-experimentation that I feel and perform much better at a higher fat ratio. That doesn't mean that everybody mm-hmm. performs better at a higher fat ratio. But if you're trying to build muscle, you need to have adequate protein. Yeah. And I feel like if you're keto-adapted, that's like what becomes adequate protein – is decreased like you don't need as much protein because ketones are incredibly muscle sparing but if you're trying to build muscle tissue you you need to make sure you get enough protein so for me like i'm in a building phase right now i'm taking in about mm, probably about 200 grams of protein a day i feel like i'm totally capable of building muscle at 150 grams of protein a day i don't think i need any more than that i just Mm -hmm. because of what i'm eating i'm getting around 200 but for me in a building phase at 180 pounds five seven I need about 150 grams of protein to build muscle tissue. When I transition to a cut, and my priority is no longer building muscle, but rather maintaining the muscle that I've built and then focusing more on fat loss, I tend to titrate protein down. I titrate fat down as well, but I I take my protein down pretty low, and I don't notice any muscle loss because I keep that fat ratio high, and I'm producing ketones, and I'm in a very anti-catabolic state as a result of the ketone production. Mm -hmm. Um, But you... You're doing a higher protein, right? 
Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, the approach that you're following with that. And the one thing we were talking about yesterday is um, if you're tracking or not. So one of the things that I've really focused on getting into a good groove with is being able to achieve and maintain a very, very lean physique um, with a good amount of muscle mass and the ability to go through my workouts. So for me, I wanted to do that in a very intuitive way. I wanted Mm -hmm. to be able to listen to my body know when I'm putting on too much training volume or if I need to change up my macros because I wanted to make it like a lifelong skill for myself where when I'm 70 or 80, I still know what to eat, how much to eat, what to cut back on. If I'm putting on fat, I I know how I can manipulate variables. And I wanted to do that without tracking because just for me and and for my lifestyle, um, tracking wasn't something that I wanted to make like a habit. So it was Mm -hmm. something I did early on, but over time, I always viewed it kind of as like a like a training wheels on a bike, and I always said at some point I want to take those off and just go with my own experience, like with the way I feel. So the one thing I found that allowed me to eat until I felt satiated um, and still stay very, very lean was if I would consume cuts of meat where the protein was high and there was a good amount of fat, but it wasn't, I wouldn't call it fatty, you know, mm-hmm. like there was enough fat to support my energy and my hormones and my workout performance, um, but not so much fat that I would end up in a caloric surplus. So many times I would end up satiated at what I would consider to be maintenance or possibly even deficit calories sometimes. So that has made it really, really easy for me to stay lean. And I wasn't, it wasn't easy for me to stay lean at all. Um, you know, my, my body wanted to stay at, you know, 12 plus or 13, uh, plus percent body fat year round. So once I figured out, okay, I can eat a little bit leaner. I, I don't go lean, lean by any means there, you know, there's no chicken breast in my diet. It's all New York steaks, uh, whole eggs, lots of like fatty fish, things like that. But I would say that it is moderate fat. Many days I'm one to one in terms of protein to fat which is actually pretty high fat. You know, it's about 30% protein to 70% fat by calories. Um, And then some days I'm much higher on the protein and the fat is a little bit lower. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we were talking about yesterday is like just my theory that I thought of at the moment was if you don't want to track, then it works to keep your protein pretty high and the fat moderate because by the time you hit like a good fat threshold for yourself where you're right at about maintenance calories and you're higher on protein, it feels like you've ate more. You know, there's like a bigger volume of food. You have to eat a lot of chicken to get like a certain level of fat. Um, But if you're tracking calories and you know what your calories are, especially if you're in a deficit, I feel like you would want to keep your fat pretty high because you'd want to support your hormones, your metabolism, um, your workout performance. So if you're doing that with no fuel, you know, and it's just all protein, and proteins are not really fuel, I think you'd feel like crap. Yeah. So because I don't like the track, I like to follow that template, and it keeps me lean. Um, if I was in a deficit tracking, I'd probably up the fat. I think that's a really good way to put it. I feel like if you're, if you're being more intuitive with it, you know, you can eat more volume with higher protein meals or leaner cuts of meat. Yeah. And if you're just being intuitive with it, that's probably going to be more of like what your body's baseline is just by default like you're going to know intuitively when you're full when you're satiated when you when you've had enough um for me like if i'm if i'm not tracking which i don't really do in the off season Mm -hmm. um i'll have a lot more protein but then when i'm tracking and i've got everything dialed into the t i'll be really conscious of my protein effects i just 
when I have a higher protein relative to fat, I feel more mentally foggy. Um, mm-hmm. That's not the case for everybody, but me personally, I notice that when my fat ratio is below about 75% of my calories coming from fat, I just start to feel a little bit more lethargic, like it's hard for me to wake up and get going. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if I'm at a higher fat ratio, I just feel better. I feel sharper. But yeah. again, I'm tracking when I'm when I'm manipulating things to that degree of certainty. So I think what yeah. you're saying about being instinctive with it, if you're not tracking, having a little bit more protein is a sensible thing to do for sure. Yeah, with higher protein, your ketones definitely go down a bit. Yeah. You know, a lot of people doing carnivore eating lots of protein are still in ketosis, but it's a much lower level of ketosis. Mm-hmm. And part of that is definitely probably due to, due to gluconeogenesis. Um, and some of the effects of blood glucose when you're at a very high level of protein. Um, But the other thing that I'm thinking about, the other variable is training styles. So you're training basically hard and heavy six days a week Mm -hmm. um, with some good weights. To do that, you need a lot of fuel. Right. Like when I think of my workouts, it's it's a lot of volume, but it's not that heavy. So I don't need that, that third gear a lot of the time, you know. Um, that I think some extra energy would afford you. So having trained with you, I feel like if I was sustaining that level of training, I would need to up the fat without a doubt. It's interesting, man. It's uh, I don't know. I feel really good with the with the higher fat, mm-hmm. but it's 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 good to like track and see kind of how your body responds to the stimulus you put it and subject it to. So yeah. this next topic, I want to kind of like hinge off what you were saying about tracking versus not tracking, mm-hmm. and we can make that a, a conversation topic. Yeah. So. You know, you you laid out a pretty good picture as to why you you want to be more intuitive with it and kind of looking at tracking as like training wheels in a sense, which I've heard that analogy before and I like that. Mm -hmm. For me, like I I look at my nutrition, my my training is like a like a science experiment almost. If I'm trying to Mm -hmm. really get things dialed in, I need to control for as many variables as possible, and then I can't really do that if I'm not tracking. Mm -hmm. So people make the argument of you know, well calories are inaccurate anyways. Like the nutrition labels on foods are not always accurate. There's like a 20% discrepancy sometimes in what the nutrition label shows versus what you're actually consuming. Plus, like it's hard or, I mean, it's impossible to track with any degree of certainty what you're actually burning throughout the course of a day because your activity levels vary. Um, Like all these like Apple watches and whatnot that tell you how many calories you're burning. None of those are accurate, accurate. I mean, there's, they're just guesstimations Mm -hmm. at best. So it's hard to really know with certainty what your caloric intake is and what your caloric outtake is. Um, however, I feel like I can't change my genetics. I can't change some of these variables, but I can really change what I'm consuming. So if I control mm-hmm. for that variable and make that my my control group, so to speak, I can make very small tweaks throughout the course of you know a few months and really get things dialed in. So I don't track when I'm in a building phase. I kind of know intuitively where what I'm consuming, mm-hmm. and I feel like I know that because I've tracked for so long. But when I'm doing like a competition prep or there's like a specific goal that I have in mind that I'm trying to reach, I, I track everything to the T so that I can control for as many variables as possible. That makes sense to me. And I think that you have a very, very clear goal that takes a level of control and certainty around those variables mm-hmm. that you can't really wing it. Um, for me, the goal is more like a vision. Like I, I sort of go for just this lean athletic physique. And ultimately, the goal is, like, if I could get that Rambo physique, like, mm-hmm. just a little bit bigger but still, like, cut as hell and maintain that, like, that's that's kind of what I'd like to go for. 
but I don't have a competition coming up and I don't have to do that in six months, you know? Right. So if I had that, it'd be like, you would bet that I'm tracking, writing everything down. I know exactly what I'm eating. But for me, it's sort of like a, a lifelong, just kind of fun process, like a hobby that I work on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I want to be able to sustain that hobby for myself and tracking for me is not part of that hobby. Yeah. You know, like the training's part of it, eating a bunch of steak and eggs and fish and stuff like that. That's part of it. I enjoy that. And the other aspect of that that I would always pay attention to is I would always look at the guys that would train and get lean before tracking was a thing. Mm-hmm. And I would look at like, okay, so what were these guys paying attention to? And they paid attention to training volume and they also tra- uh, paid attention to food choice. So it's it's usually like I'll look at the guys in the 60s um, with uh, I think like Larry Scott and Vince mm-hmm. Garanda and some of those guys. And then I would look at the guys in the 70s, Serge Nubray, Arnold, Franco, Dave Draper, all those guys. And when they were trying to cut down, or actually when they're bulking up, it's a lot of heavy weights, obviously. They're eating a ton. It's always very high protein, very high fat. And also, they'd throw in the carbs. And then once that contest would come around, all they knew how to do was to cut carbs up volume. Mm -hmm. So they would cut the carbs, they would up the volume, and they would up the protein a little bit. And they would sort of use the mirror as a guide and they would use their training and the way they're feeling with their training as a guide. And I just thought that was so cool. And I thought, man, these guys got real lean Um, and they were able to get into great shape, just sort of feeling it out and and having like an intuitive sense of that. So for me, since I don't have a contest or I don't have something specific, I want to be able to like intuitively push myself into that. Yeah. Um, now let's not forget they were on anabolic steroids. They had other <laughs> things helping them out. So I'm not going to pretend I can look like Arnold or something like that just intuitively. But um, I think the principle still applies. Yeah, it's it's interesting, man. Looking at some of the older, you know, golden era bodybuilders, they didn't. I mean, they didn't have a lot of these tracking apps that we have nowadays. They didn't have Apple watches. That's kind of less to, stress for some of them. Yeah, less stress. I mean, shoot, if you're super stressed, that's going to cause you to retain body fat right there. So <laughs> I was just thinking yesterday <laughs> about, uh, was it the aura ring you had? Yeah, yeah. So you had the aura ring on, and he wakes up in the morning, and it tells him that uh, for the day's preparation, like he's 49% prepared for the day. So yeah. he's he's pretty much set himself up for a losing day. I was, I was thinking if, if I woke up and read that, that would stress me out. I'd... You know, and then you hit some hurdles and obstacles, and you're like, well, I'm, I'm not at my best today anyway. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's, it's funny, man. A lot of people yeah. a lot of people do that. They look at the aura ring. It tells them their readiness score for the day, and it's like, well, shoot, I better not do anything. You know, I better just, like, go back to sleep. <laughs> Load management. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you definitely have to have a balance and, like, not let the numbers stress you out and dictate your life. Don't let them dictate it, yeah. Yeah, don't let them dictate your life. Let them be just simply a like a, a guide as to, you know, what, are you on the right path? Are you doing something totally wrong, something counter to what your goals are? Like use it as a guiding factor, but mm-hmm. not let it be the differentiating factor. And for me, yeah. like I'll wake up and the O-ring will say, you know, take it easy today. And like whenever I hear somebody tell me take it easy, it's like, okay, I'll show you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Probably yeah. isn't good either. because harder. I'll, yeah, I'll prove that O-ring wrong. I mean, yesterday yeah. we did back. When I had that low, like forty nine out of a hundred yeah. score, we went for it, and we went, we went hard, we went heavy, man. We yeah. didn't hold back, and you know maybe I'm just stupid and stubborn for doing that, but I don't know, I kind of like it. <laughs> no, I th- well beyond just the physical effects, it's character building, which is the main thing. It's like not letting the app control you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think all that stuff is really valuable. Like when I was in this process of trying to figure out the whole diet thing, one of the 
things that I was doing was I got into flexible dieting for a while mm-hmm. and I got into, you know, like you hit that level of protein that's sort of set and then you would sort of manipulate your carbs and fats um, and slowly bring those down when you're cutting. You do this long caloric deficit in a cut and then you do um, like the reverse dieting to get out of it and you slowly start to increase your calories and try not to binge. And I would always think to myself, like, what's the end goal here? Because I, I want to look like a Hollywood actor, like I want to look lean and ripped all the time, but do I cut and then surplus and then maintain. And it's like, it felt like it would just be this endless cycle of like, okay, time to cut for a couple weeks and then let's up the calories for a couple weeks. I was like, I don't even want to manage that. Like there's got to be a strategy where I eat healthy foods until I'm full and I train really, really hard and I get lean because I know that there are guys that have done that. So I was like, what the hell is that strategy? Mm -hmm. And for me, it ended up being just kind of like these daily guidelines that I follow with like the training, fasting until I'm hungry, focusing on steak, eggs, some seafood, liver, things like that. And once I found those guidelines, I just stuck to them. Um, but it's it's goal-dependent. It's all goal-dependent. Yeah. You, know? you have different goals than I have. The person out there watching this who is 250 and wants to get down to 150 has different goals. Um, so that's that's something I think is important to keep your goals at the forefront when you're listening to advice and every different podcast and all the different gurus, you know, all the advice they're giving is based on a certain goal. Right. Totally. You mentioned flexible dieting. Let's talk about flexible dieting, man, because I hate it. You hate it? <laughs> I think it's silly. I feel like this is this is going to ruffle some feathers if any flexible dieters and if it fits your macros, folks listening. But I think flexible dieting and if it fits your macros at its core is good. You know, like what the intent was at the onset was good but people have blown that out of proportion so like now the poster boy for flexible dieting is you know eat pop tarts and beer and ice cream and get shredded get ripped look i'm still lean Yeah, yeah yeah and that's just taking something that is good and blowing it out of proportion and making it into a negative because then that's what people gravitate towards yeah you know i feel like like calories matter i feel like both and i both you and i can agree on that that i mean everything you consume matters everything everything matters like there's all this symbiotic relationship between all the factors genetics hormones caloric Mm -hmm. intake caloric expenditure all that stuff matters so one thing i dislike about you know flexible dieting if it fits your macros is it basically puts the priority on calories and macros and say okay look if you're in a caloric deficit you'll lose weight if you're in a caloric you know, surplus, you gain weight, and it doesn't really put much focus towards all the other factors. Mm-hmm. And while it's true that calories matter, there are a whole bunch of other factors at play. And then, generally speaking, flexible dieting is, is obviously not a ketogenic-based macro, so there's higher yeah. carbs in there, so you can get away with those Pop-Tarts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just become this, this, like, war almost that's being raged between, like, flexible dieters saying keto is not sustainable, it's not healthy long-term, you can't do keto, you know, you got to have your carbs. You can't build muscle without carbs, yada, yada, yada. Here I am eating beer, pop, sickles, ice cream, and Pop-Tarts, and I'm Look, looking good, looking yeah. ripped, yeah, you know. Yeah. And it's like, hold the phone, wait just a minute here. Is eating Pop-Tarts and ice cream a, a vision of health? Like, is that something, like, even if you're lean, even if you're jacked and shredded and build muscle, yeah. are you doing your body a favor by taking in a bunch of crap foods that are heavily processed? I would say no, you know. Yeah. At at the end of the day, like when I look at guys that are ripped on flexible dieting, it's kind of a parlor trick 
Like, mm-hmm. you know, anybody could eat absolute garbage and get super lean and ripped. And then the first thing they'll say, especially in regards to keto, is, well, the number one, like, marker of health, the number one thing you should track is, like, your fat to muscle ratio, you know, and your body fat. And simply dropping weight is going to make you healthier overall. Nobody disputes that, but there's a huge margin in that where it's like you could be super lean and a lot of flexible dieters I know live off of energy drinks. They live off of coffee. They live off of stimulants because they feel like crap because all their energy is coming from these totally nutrient devoid foods. So how can you get as lean as possible and feel your best long term? Mm -hmm. And most of the guys doing this are very young. Um, young women doing this as well. So there's a lot of reserve in their body. Their body can go through a lot. Like the human body can be put through hell and come out of it. So I don't doubt when people are like, yeah, I've been doing this for 10 plus years and I feel great and I look great and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, sure, you know, and and if if that's satisfying your goal, if that's kind of what you want and you're not super concerned with any long-term ramifications, live your life, (laughs) go for it. Um, but it, it definitely doesn't satisfy my goal, which is to maintain everything I have and to build into my old age. Like I, I always envisioned myself being 80 or 90 and being, being able to go for runs, lifting weights every day, still getting up in the morning, training, hiking, all that kind of stuff. I do not think you can do that eating pop tarts and, you know, cereal and all that kind of stuff for years and years. So it neglects the overall picture of health, but it does an excellent job sometimes with the uh, the body fat thing. So yeah, but that's not everything. Yeah, it's not everything. It's it's funny, man. Like I look at like bodybuilding, and bodybuilding is supposed to be like the embodiments of health. Like you see people on the bodybuilding stage, it's like okay, those people are healthy. They got things dialed in. At least it used to be. Yeah, and it's sad because that's oftentimes the farthest thing from the truth. Like there, I mean, there's bodybuilders that are you know pre-diabetic, type two diabetic because they're just taking in all these crap foods and they don't have to be fat to be diabetic. We all know that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they have like electrolyte issues. They'll be dehydrated. Um, there's just a lot of issues that can come into play there. And if you're taking you know, a bunch of anabolic steroids and super supplements, that's got a long-term ramification as well. And you have to take that into consideration. Yeah, I don't want to be like the biggest, most massive guy in my you know 20s. I don't want to try and beat that race and it have long-term health, you know, put me in a long-term disadvantage. I want to be able to just consistently build upon the frame and structure that I've got over the next 50, 60, 70 years so that when I'm 75 years old, you know, I'm, I'm living a high-quality life now in my 20s, but when I'm 75 years old, I'm still living a high-quality life. So where there may be, you know, competitors of mine that are taking steroids and they look amazing now they're huge by the time they're 70 i mean they're not their goal is no longer to be the biggest guy out there so their yeah. their body's going to kind of have to you know they're, they're cutting years off their life and they're just they're screwing their hormones up there's a lot of issues that come with them and i'll be able to just continue to build and build and build on that frame mm-hmm. now i'm, I'm going to probably be you know a little less limber when i'm 75 maybe not but i would imagine i'd be a little bit less limber at 75 than i am now maybe not man. maybe not but <laughs> i feel like my chances of not being less limber or a heck of a lot better if I, you know, have a healthy lifestyle now. Yeah, it's, it's like I think a lot of those guys that are pushing it super hard in their 20s are kind of cashing in early mm-hmm. and they're pushing their body to its limit and giving it all the drugs and all the stimulants um, to see what they can get out of it. 
but that's the same body you got you got to ride with when you're 70 plus. Yeah. Warren Buffett had this great analogy where he said, "Imagine um, I gave you a car, and you could pick any car you want, but here's the catch: you only get one car. This is your only car that you get to drive for the rest of your life. How are you going to take care of it?" And I think those guys are speeding down the freeway right now, you know, uh, driving that car crazy, and um, that's just not that's not something I want to do, you know. Yeah, it's interesting, man. I feel like. You know, I've said it on many, many of my podcasts. Like, I want to be jacked and ripped and dead sexy at 80 years old. Yeah, you know? And I feel yeah, like yeah. like keto, resistance training, some intermittent fasting used strategically, I think those variables, you know, while eating super nutrient-dense, wholesome foods, like that's the fountain of youth right there. Yeah, you know? I think so. So what else, man? What, what's the next controversial topic we're going to dive into? Well, we got that. Um, maybe this isn't controversial, but what do you think about supplements on keto? So I used to be the guy that would like walk in the GNC, look at all the different supplements, would like have that wow factor associated mm-hmm. with it, and I just assumed that every single one of them was there for a purpose and it was would help me reach my goal. And what I, I mean now, it's like so many of those supplements are, I mean none of the stuff is regulated. So nothing in any supplement store is regulated. It's not regulated by the FDA, and there's so much of it. There's there's been instances where people would prove a point by putting something on the shelves and it'd be just like total filler ingredients with maybe like the most minuscule amount of what it says is actually in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, first of all, you never know what you're getting when you buy something off a, a store shelf like that. Second of all, you don't even need most of it. I mean, there's a couple benefits to some of it, but you can get so much of that in your, your body, like just from quality, wholesome foods. And I would yeah. put, if I had $20 to spend... I would absolutely spend that on a couple cartons of whole eggs instead of like a tub yeah. of some high-end protein powder. Yeah. You know, I think putting an emphasis on that is key. As far as supplements that I would use, you know, if I had the discretionary income to just get any supplements, I would keep it pretty simple, man. I would get like a good quality creatine, use that because creatine is naturally, um, you know, occurring in a lot of the red meats you eat, but I feel like you can get some ad- additional benefit if you up that dosage a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'd get a good creatine. Um, I'd make sure I've got enough electrolytes, so like good sodium, if you could call that a supplement. Um, I'd make sure that, yeah, my sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium is all solid. Have good creatines, vitamin D. I feel like depending, especially if you're like a, you know, a northern region or you're not getting much sunlight, good vitamin D would be good. But man, that's pretty much my go-to. That's (laughs) doesn't get much more difficult than that. Yeah, like basically all of the supplements I would recommend or I would want to get are foods, you mm-hmm. know, so salt, I think, is huge. Yeah. Um, in terms of a pre-workout, I would get some great coffee. I love drinking coffee as a pre-workout. Uh, you know, in terms of taking care of all the micronutrients, I would get some, some seafood. I would get mm-hmm. some salmon or some beef liver, you know. Um, let's see, what else would there be? That's basically it. I do like to use whey protein occasionally. I like to use whey protein isolate, and it's really when I have that craving for, like, something sweet. Um, and it kind of takes care of that, and it's got some calcium in it, which I'm always looking for sources of on carnivore, um, since you can do like bone meal or things like that. But I, I like to make sure that that box is checked. So whey protein isolate is probably the only supplement supplement I would do. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of um, whey protein. You have to be careful whey protein. A lot of protein. All whey protein is definitely not created equal. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of it that's produced overseas and like the the processing technique they use is really hard on our GI system so like mm-hmm. 
a lot of people have, you know, GI distress with their whey protein, especially lower-grade whey protein. So if you find one, is there a specific brand that you have had a lot of success with? I get that uh, cheap one at Walmart. Really? No, I'm kidding. It doesn't. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> About the same. It's probably the worst. <laughs> Bottom of the barrel. Yeah, I used to use that when I was a kid. Um, so what I usually get, I like the uh, the perfect keto one. I'll get I'll get a quality whey protein isolate usually from Sprouts or from Whole Foods. But I've been using that perfect keto one. I like that. It's got a few MCTs in it. Um, I'll throw some collagen in there too. I'll throw some egg yolks in there and some salt in there. And I'll drink that up um, if I kind of have the need for that. Nice. But yeah. There's Very not cool. a specific brand name, though, but it's mostly Perfect Keto. Nice, Ding. nice. <laughs> little plug there. Yeah, no, I, I have no affiliation with them. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of nice about not having any affiliation with these. You can just speak your own mind about Say them and you want. Yeah. tell people how it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else, man? What else is good? We got to uh, – let's talk about the carbs, man. Like a lot mm. of people do carbs on keto. It's, it's funny. I was thinking the other day. You know, when I first got into the keto space, I could make a post about, like, me having a great workout and getting a good pump or something, and I could say something like, no carbs needed, like, hashtag, no carbs needed or something. People were on board. And people were on board. It's yeah. like, okay, you're you're definitely a keto athlete, and you're talking in reference to, like, people that are using carbs predominantly as a fuel source. Mm-hmm. I can make that same post now, and it'd be like, wow, what guy in the keto space are you calling out? You know, it's weird, man. It's like yeah, a weird shift yeah. that's occurred. And I don't like it. I mean, I've said on multiple podcasts that I don't care what you put in your mouth. I mean, it's not my place to judge or say or do. I mean, do whatever works for you, you know. Mm-hmm. Everybody's their own person. But what's your take on, you know, carb ups used strategically for uh, performance? Is it necessary? Mm-hmm. Um, is there a benefit to it? Just kind of what what are you thinking? My honest opinion is I feel like there are some sports where it would be beneficial. Um, I would see that as things like sprinting, uh, potentially like higher volume if you're doing like training for Olympic lifting or if you're doing like CrossFit, but something that is really, really glycolytic for extended periods of time. Um, So that's my take on it. And those athletes, though, I think I think like they're ultimately thinking about what's going to get me the max performance. So I think that if I was one of those athletes, I would probably be doing something similar to like a vertical diet where I'm getting in those carbs and I'm also getting in like a lot of other nutrient-dense foods. I think that for the majority of people, it's completely unnecessary. If you're going to do your bodybuilding workout and you're having like a carb up beforehand and you're not a competitive athlete, you don't need it. (laughs) You know, it's kind of pointless. So I think for overall performance, there might be certain sports that would benefit from that. And I would also throw salt in that list too. Mm-hmm. I think with those really glycolytic anaerobic sports, you want a lot of salt too beforehand. Um, but that's kind of my take on it. I, I definitely don't think it's necessary, but if the goal is ultimately like absolute performance, I think it would probably be more convenient. And I know that it would have the effect of like blowing up the muscles. Uh, whether you can do that as easily on fat I really don't know because I've I've never really experimented with the max level of performance. What's your take on that? I feel like if you are uh, if you're carb dependent and you're not really keto adapted, then you could mm-hmm. absolutely see a benefit from the carb ups. Yeah, you know, like it takes like being in ketosis and being keto adapted are two very different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you could start registering as being in ketosis after you know forty eight hours mm-hmm. or even less. Um, 
but that doesn't necessarily mean you're keto adapted or fat adapted. And if you haven't been keto adapted for an extended period of time, or I mean, even if you've been keto adapted for, for several months, you may see some, some benefit from the carb ups because your body is still familiar with that as a fuel source. Um, mm-hmm. Your body's not efficient at using fat and ketones, you know, replenish glycogen. Yeah. But the longer you're adapted, the more efficient you get at replenishing your glycogen stores. I mean, Volokh's done a study that shows that, hey, if you're keto adapted, he did the study with uh, people that have been adapted for at least nine months. Mm-hmm. And they were shown to replenish glycogen stores just as quickly as people that were carb dependent or taking in carbs uh, pre or post or intra workout. I don't remember what the timing was, but basically, they were able to replenish the keto adapted athletes were able to replenish carbs just or replenish glycogen just as quickly as the carb dependent athletes. Having done like cycling or mm-hmm. yeah, okay. it was I don't remember the exact specifics on it, but they put them through a, a you know like a sync I think a cycling mm-hmm. uh, exercise of some sort. Um, I think there was actually a couple different exercises, but I don't want to I don't want to you know step on my words and mess it all up. I don't know exactly the the specifics of the study, but that was the the main point. They were able to replenish glycogen at the same rate. And mm-hmm. for me, you know, like I've been strict keto now for five years and I look at what I'm able to do from an output level in the gym. Um, you know, I, I've, I've done I've done a marathon now. I feel like I've tried to put my body to the test with all different kinds of activities, like the, the short burst, the long endurance stuff. And I, I know that for me personally, I see no benefit whatsoever from a performance standpoint. I don't feel like my performance is suffering at all from the absence of carbohydrates, and I don't feel like my performance would improve whatsoever with the introduction of carbohydrates, you know, strategic carb-ups or not. But I don't feel like that is necessarily obtainable unless you've been strict keto for an extended period of time. So you kind of got to go all in. If you really want to replenish glycogen stores at an equal rate to somebody that's consuming carbs, you got to actually do it. Like you got to be doing it for like a year, make sure your body has made all of those mitochondrial adaptations to have that ability to process the fat, turn it into the glycogen at that sort of rate. Yeah. So like if you're dabble, yeah, you can't dabble. So if you're not the type of person that's going to do that, which most people aren't, I mean, in all fairness, most people aren't going to be hardcore strict keto for life. Like this is not how most people think and, go about their day-to-day mm-hmm. life. So for those people, by all means, you know, have the carbs, do whatever you want. You'll probably see a performance benefit. But if you're mm-hmm. one of the people that are just like hardcore, this is my lifestyle now, I'm going all in, I'm going strict with it, then I feel confident in saying that they don't have to worry about seeing their performance suffer or feel like they are missing out by not having carbs. Mm. You know, I, I remember a lot of people used to talk about the idea of uh, train low, compete high. Mm-hmm. You know, with like training very low carb, making a lot of the adaptations and then competing with some strategic carbs placed in there um, to really maximize that performance. I never experimented with it. I don't really know. I like the idea of following the diet to the T and then before the event, just eating more. Yeah. You know, consuming more food and having some extra reserve, you know, so you're not super depleted, you're not super lean. Um, and the same thing goes with salt. Like I can't beat the drum about salt enough. Like I feel a huge difference in terms of training and energy with a much higher salt quantity in the diet. Yeah, I think salt is huge. Uh, I'm keen to kind of like play around with what, you know, with, with, with sodium, with electrolytes, potassium, yeah. magnesium. You can kind of reset your body's, you know, homeostatic equilibrium point. So like if you're, 
if you're stabilized at 4,000 milligrams sodium, you know, you can titrate that up to 6,000 milligrams sodium. Everything else has to titrate up with it, but you can kind of reset what that baseline is. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see if I, you know, start cranking that up, kind of like we were talking about the other day, start cranking that up mm-hmm. if I notice any benefit from just a higher overall electrolyte load. And what, what sort of benefits would you be looking for? I don't know, possibly better pumps in the gym, yeah, yeah. Um, less uh, less fatigue, like, I don't know, just throughout the course of a day. Yeah, if I, if I'm dehydrated or if I haven't gotten enough sodium in for the day, I start crashing earlier for sure. Whereas mm-hmm. if I'm super hydrated and all my electrolytes are balanced, and that's key, like you can't just have high sodium and be super deficient in potassium because then you're going to be out of whack and it's not going to, I mean, it's, yeah. just, if it's, it's not, not going to be good. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to yeah. be good. Um, so making sure everything's balanced is key. But I'm curious to see if I titrate all factors up, if there's any inherent benefit to just having a higher sodium, potassium, magnesium load altogether. How do you balance the other electrolytes? Do you bring in uh, like any potassium salts or anything like that? So, yeah, there's a bunch of potassium citrate supplements out there, yeah. like Keto Vitals is one that I've used a lot. I used to use Zip Fizz, um, but there's a there's sucralose in Zip Fizz, so mm. I've tried to you know steer away from that. But Keto Vitals is... Uh, sweetened with stevia, so I, I like theirs. One scoop of that's like 500 milligrams of potassium, um, so that's a pretty good source. Dr. Berg's got one that's pretty popular. It's 1,000 milligrams of potassium per scoop of that. Um, there's actually quite a few different potassium supplement brands. There used to be like none. Um, you have to mm-hmm. like get the you have to get the pills that were capped at 99 milligrams. Just take like 20 of them. Um, yeah. Whereas now there's like a whole bunch of different powders coming out that make it a little bit easier to get that in. But yeah, potassium powder or something like that, just a pure grade potassium citrate works pretty well for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, just titrate all things upward. That'll balance it out. Yep. What is the most controversial topic in this space right now? I think the cheat meals is a big one for sure. Yeah, cheat meals is big. Kind of the carb ups versus like all, you know, performance if they're necessary or not, I think it's big. The fat macro is big. Yeah, fat macros are big. I, people get so uptight about you know, like if your goal is to lose body fat, you want to reduce plate fat and not consume that much dietary fat. And they just assume that if you're taking in dietary fat, you can't tap into your own stored body fat, which I would argue against. Mm-hmm. Um, like I keep my fat ratio high when I'm trying to build muscle or lose fat. I just feel mm-hmm. better at a higher fat ratio. Yeah. I think if you're in a caloric deficit and your energy balance is such that you are in a deficit, you can keep fat higher and still lose that or body fat rather yeah um you know i mean like and it's muscle sparing yeah it's more muscle sparing yeah so like when i did my prep you know i got down to three three and a half percent body fat and my fat was i think it's 78 or 80 percent of my calories Mm -hmm. Uh, my protein was really low but i didn't lose really any muscle because i had such a high ketone production and i was in a very anti-catabolic state how heavy were you training in that in that last maybe two weeks I was going heavy, man. Like I was hitting, yeah, I would imagine. You know, four plates on squats. I was doing, you know, five plates on deadlifts. I mean, I was going heavy with everything. Does that feel like hell when you're that lean? Three percent squatting four plates. <laughs> Holy crap! Yeah, I mean, it's different. Um, like you're able to push a lot more weight and pull a lot more weight if you're heavier, simply because like the mechanics, you have it more leverage going for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't really have that much when you're just lighter. Even if you have the same amount of muscle, if you don't have that weight behind it, it's just a little bit harder. But you're, you're so stringy. yeah, but you're so psyched up and you're like ready to rumble. I mean, you're like yeah. in the zone when you're a month out from competition, man. Yeah, it's yeah. like that mental state kind of 
overpowers any physical disadvantage you have by being lighter. And for me, it's like, okay, I'm ready to go to work. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome, man. Like That's it. hardcore. Yeah, man. Bodybuilding's, I love it, man. There's a, there's a bunch of different sports out there, and I have utmost respect for any athlete. I mean, if you're an athlete and you're pushing yourself, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally throughout any any goal, any endeavor, I've got respect for you. But bodybuilding just really resonates with me because it's an individual sport. You know, you're trying to beat yourself. You know, there's other competitors on stage, and obviously, you want to. You know, you're not you're not competing for second place. Like you want to win, but for me, it's like I give my best effort, and I know that the package that I brought in 2017 was a kick-ass package. And my goal now is to beat that. And if I beat that, then what else more can I ask for? You know. You will. Yeah, I have no doubt. Yeah. I, I, I know that I put on muscle since then, so it's yeah. going to be good. Yeah, that'll be awesome, man. Yeah. Artificial sweeteners. Artificial do you sweeteners. you consume them? What do you think about them? Um, I don't try and consume artificial sweeteners, especially I used to. When I first started keto, man, I would I would get like the sucralose, the Splenda. Yeah. I mean, I would I would I would go through a bunch of that stuff, man. I'd I'd make all the keto desserts like a lot of people do when they first switch over to keto. Yeah. And I feel like if that's a stepping stone that makes keto more uh, more of a viable solution to you and you can kind of, you know, get adapted. And then once you get adapted and you start, you know, optimizing, you start phasing that stuff out. So if it helps you get there in the first place, you know, more power to you, keep doing it. Mm-hmm. But as a whole, I think you want to minimize or totally remove all the artificial sweeteners, all the non-caloric sweeteners. I use uh, stevia and monk fruit. That's kind of like the only ones I really try and go for. Every once yeah. in a while I have a drink that's got, you know, sucralose or ACE-K in there. But as a whole, you know, your sucralose, your acesulfame potassium, uh, you know, all your different sugar alcohols, they're they're just not good. They can still spike your insulin, mm-hmm. even if they don't show a spike in blood glucose. And they make you crave more sweet things. Yeah, which that's huge. It's not good. I mean, I'm going to call call you out right now. You had a ZV the other day. I did. I had multiple ZVs the other yeah, day. You had one ZV and that, you know, that, that made you want more. So yeah, I hadn't had them for a while, and yeah. I try not to buy them because I know what happens. <laughs> They're gone in like a day. Yeah. But, yeah. um, yeah, as, as perhaps harmless as those are, the negative side effect is that you start to really crave sweets, you know, mm-hmm. just that taste. It's a mental thing. So it's something that you really have to manage. That's why with coffee, like one of the things I never do, I don't add anything to my coffee. I don't want a sweet taste. I don't want to add anything to it. I just like that black, bitter coffee. Um, just one of those like habits that I try to keep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not a fan of artificial sweeteners at all. Um, the only one I really consume is like stevia, and that has to be moderated. Yeah, yeah. And and it's funny, man. Like I used to chew gum like crazy. I was a chain mm-hmm. chewer. I would go through like like we're talking about three or four packs of gum a, a day. Chain chewer. I yeah, like that. Chain chewer. Packs a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you get. I mean, you get to thinking like there's all that sweetness coming in it's stimulating the you know signals in your brain to crave more sweetness mm-hmm. and i mean there's trace carbs in a pack of gum you're eating four packs of gum a day i mean you're you're getting some carb count racked yeah. up there and it would just screw with my mind and i would never be satiated like i'm constantly chewing so the act of simply chewing sends a signal to your brain and 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 tells your body okay i'm about to be consuming food let's start getting all the hormones ranked up, ramped up to be able to digest this food, mm-hmm. so it kind of stimulates more hunger, and then you've got that sweetness coming in that makes you crave that you know additional sweet things, and a lot of competitors when their calories are low, they just start you know turning to gum 
as a way to like not really have much of a caloric load, but two because they're just wanting to you know take their mind off of them being hungry. But it's like a negative feedback loop because the more you chew, the hungrier you get. Mm-hmm. So now my next prep, I'm just not gonna have the gum. Like I literally kick quit cold turkey and I hadn't had gum in I don't know two years now. Yeah. And I think by taking that out of the equation, I'll be able to sustain the lower calories much easier next time I go through a prep. Hmm. That makes complete sense. It's just one less variable to mess around with. Yeah, definitely. What's your take on vegetables, plants, and the whole carnivore movement? I think um, I think carnivore is great. I have nothing against carnivore. Um, I think it's you know putting an emphasis on really nutrient dense foods. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're eating quality you know grass fed beef or not grass fed beef, if you're eating you know organ meats, if you're doing kind of like a nose to tail approach, especially. You're going to be consuming much more nutrients than if you were just bouncing around trying to consume a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people, they like the more choices they have, the more chance they're going to have totally going off the rails. That's so, yeah. Yeah. So by being carnivore and kind of keeping strict with carnivore, you're removing a lot of that that variability, and you can adhere to a program much easier. I think, like for competitors that are just finishing up a show, for instance kind of doing a reverse diet with carnivores key because they've got like this craving for all these different foods and almond butters and everything. Yeah. If you're just going carnivore, it takes that out of the equation. So I think that's yeah. great. I think carnivore is like a it's like a it's like a strict elimination diet, you know, to yeah. a to an extent. And I think it's a great detox for that reason. You're able to kind of wipe the slate clean, figure out what your baseline is and then be able to adjust from there. I am not a hardcore strict 100% carnivore. Like I'll mm-hmm. gravitate towards eating carnivore carnivorous style foods like 90% of the time but eventually I wind up wanting a big old salad and I eat a big old salad and I don't feel bad about it you know I think having that balance in my life is cool and I'm totally cool with it you know there's definitely things that are not good with some veggies like there's been enough research that indicates you know you obviously want to stay away from the pesticides and all that comes with you know the negative side of eating a bunch of greens but I'm not going to feel bad if I'm eating you know, super nutrient dense foods all the time. I'm eating keto. Like if, if eating a salad every once in a while is bad, then then what's the world coming to? You know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I don't really have anything against them either, and I understand when people cut them out as part of an elimination protocol because they have autoimmune issues. Mm-hmm. But as much as that's talked about, I'm fairly certain that like 80 to 90 percent of people doing carnivore are doing it because they want to lose weight. Yeah. You know, they tried everything and they just usually keto's the last thing they try and they're like, Holy crap, I still can't lose it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Well, what will what will give me as little margin as possible to screw up? It's like they've tried all these different bumpers in the bowling alley and finally they're like down to here and it's like, Okay, that ball has to go in a straight line now. Like you can't mess this up. So I, I love the simplicity of it and I love that like you are consuming in huge quantities red meat and eggs and seafood and all of the foods that your body is craving, the nutrients that it needs. So I kind of feel like um, one thing I've noticed with a lot of carnivores is over time their appetite starts to decrease. And that's something that uh, I started to experience where when I started it, I would just eat and eat and eat and I could eat like crazy. But I feel like my body got so saturated with the nutrients it needed and it probably corrected a lot of deficiencies I might have been racking up through like a plant-based diet and stuff like that and overdoing fasting and low calories and all that kind of stuff that um, when I ate that, 
over time, my appetite has consistently gotten lower and lower and lower to now where it's it's a little bit of an issue for some of my goals because I need to be eating some more. Um, so I might need to add fats or things like that or go for fattier steaks. But I think that's interesting, though, that your body can become so saturated with nutrients and it's so uh, replete with what it needs that it's not going to overconsume food to attempt to get that. So that's one thing I've kind of experienced. But the good thing about carnivore currently is that it's really tough to screw up. Yeah. You know, the bad thing is that, you know, people are always looking for ways to screw it up. You know, what, yeah. what can I get away with? So we'll see if they find something. But yeah, I think I, right now we're good. I agree with you. I agree with you. It's um, it's interesting you brought up the point that your, your appetite's decreased over time, which, you know, most of the time that's a good thing. Like if, if your goal is to lose body fat and – you know, you're you're heavier than having a decrease in appetite and sticking with super nutrient dense carnivorous foods is like the best thing you can do. Um, there's been several instances though where I've seen people that have gone carnivore or even gone just keto mm-hmm. and since it's very uh, you know, satisfying from a you know, just a an appetite control standpoint, they wind up chronically under eating and then that mm-hmm. has a negative effect on their metabolism. You don't want I mean there's instances where you don't want to just intuitively follow your hunger. Like you're much mm-hmm. more in tune with your body's hunger patterns when you're keto as opposed to when you're eating a bunch of heavily processed, you know, high carbohydrate foods. But if you get to the point where you're under consuming for far too long at nauseum, then then your body's metabolism is gonna start tanking. So you have to kind mm-hmm. of intentionally ramp that caloric intake up from time to time to bump that metabolism up. There was a a girl that I was speaking with at KetoCon, and she was carnivore, and she was, you know, saying how she felt totally satisfied. She was never hungry, but she was consuming less than a 1,000 calories on a day-to-day basis. And, I mean, you've got to basically go out of your way to intentionally eat more, maybe even force feed a little bit. Mm-hmm. And when you start doing that, your body follows suit. Like when you start yeah. kind of force feeding the food, you don't want to make a habit out of that. But when you start doing that, your body's like, okay, let's ramp up. And then you start getting hungry again. Mm-hmm. You know, then your body starts saying, okay, let's use this fuel. So I would caution anybody against just chronically under eating, even if they're not too terribly hungry. One of the things I've been trying is uh, actually incorporating breakfast, which I haven't mm-hmm. done for a long time, but actually eating breakfast, eating lunch, eating dinner. Um, so adding meals has kind of helped me out. Um, so that's something people can try because when you're fasting, that's going to contribute to that satiety effect as well. Yeah, for you sure. Know, you just have a few bites and you're like, oh, I'm good. Um, so that's something to try. Kevin Stock. Uh, do you know Kevin Stock? I do not. Okay, so he's he's got awesome, awesome carnivore content on... Uh, meathealth.com, I think. Meathealth.com. Or, no, no, no. It's meat.health. Gotcha. Uh, it's, it's just a lot of cool free carnivore content, really well thought out. But he did this bulking experiment where he just slowly over time, he had cut all the way down, and then he went up from 2 to 3 pounds of meat to 4 pounds a day to 5 pounds a day. And he said that he actually felt equally satiated whether he was at 5 pounds a day or 2 pounds a day. Um, so his appetite changed according to how much he was making himself eat. So it's true. You can really, really determine your metabolism based on how much you're eating. And he definitely ramped it up. Yeah, and so that's the thing, man. Like, not enough people talk about metabolism, how to manipulate it. They just assume that it is what it is, and you have to kind of, you know, be um, 
reactive based off of that. You can't be proactive, which the exact opposite is true. I mean, you can have yeah. a pretty big impact on what your metabolism is doing. So that's why I strategically have like a building phase where I, you know, ramp up my calories, focus more on building muscle and accepting of the fact that I'm going to put on a little bit more body fat when I do that. Now, we've been talking for about an hour now, almost an hour. Let's dive into the future of keto, nutrition, this like whole community as a whole. What What do you think about that? Like what's the next 10 years of this space going to look like? I think uh, legitimacy, legitimacy, moving beyond a fad diet. And I think a huge part of that is going to have to do with documentaries. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's a lot of good documentaries coming out right now. Vinny Tortorich just released his. Have you seen that one yet? I haven't seen it yet. I heard it's doing well. And yeah. It's got good reviews too. I saw the clip of it at KetoCon that he played. Yeah. Um, I spoke right after him, I think. But I think that documentary, there's, there's been several of them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that one that came out about six months ago that really started gaining some traction? The Magic Pill? Yeah, The Magic Pill. That one. I know uh, Brian Sanders has his coming out, Food Lies. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he's gotten tons of great footage. Chris Bell's got one coming out that... Is it, I think it's going to be really interesting. I don't know if it's going to be in defense of meat because mm-hmm. um, it might go more of a carnivore route. It might go more of a keto route. It might actually be really agnostic. And because of all the things that him and Mark have done and tried, it might be kind of something like, a, look, all diets work depending on your goal um, and kind of showing people what they might need to try or do. So, But I think there's going to be a lot of good documentaries out. Mainly, it's going to combat this like current vegan wave that – I think really happened with documentaries because everybody I know is like, oh, but have you seen What the Health? And it's like, Jesus, everybody, like they just cite that thing. And that's what's like, you know, they send it to their grandma and their mom and their dad and all these people that don't even care about nutrition. So I think the documentaries are going to help hugely. I think YouTube content, Instagram content, Facebook content, Twitter content, uh, social media is going to be really, really powerful. And the fact of the matter is what we're doing, as uh, as unscientific as this sounds, it's it's right. It works. There's there's some really, really powerful science backing it. Um, so the fact that there is a strong core, that it's not just a fad diet that everybody can lose weight on. It's not like a celery cleanse type thing. There's a very strong core. It's used for therapeutic reasons. It's used for fat loss reasons. You know, like you do, it's used for performance reasons, too. It, it kind of checks off all the different boxes, and it's extremely healthy in the long term. All the opinions of one guy, but I'm just saying from what I've seen, it seems like it checks off a lot of major boxes. So I think that it's got a real strong core. Like, it's it's not baseless. It doesn't, it's, doesn't not have a foundation. Yeah, it's funny, man. Like, I've basically put all my eggs in this basket, so to speak. Yeah. Like, I, I don't have a plan B. Like, I've built my business, my career, my brand, my life around my belief that this lifestyle and way of eating is where things are headed. And, I mean, if if research came out tomorrow that said, look, it is 100% guaranteed that keto is going to knock 10 years off your life, I would still keep doing it because mm. I feel so much better and the quality of my life is, has improved that tremendously. Mm. Um, that said, if that research came out, I imagine there there would be a pretty big dip in the community's, you know, following i feel like you know keto as a whole would start to decline but i don't think that's going to happen man like i look at Mm -hmm. all the new research that's coming out all the medical foundation that's come out like it's only in favor of of keto and this 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 way of eating and i look at 
all the success all the success stories man like every single day I, I get an email about how something you know with the podcast or whatever has 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 motivated people to try keto and then it's enhanced their life their loved ones are living around longer like their great grandmother who was diagnosed with xyz is now healed miraculously like it's crazy man like yeah. that gives me hope and tells me that something is working here and i look at you know the direction people are taking things like there's there's more products coming out there's a lot of noise in the market now because of that there's i mean there's money to be made in this space there's a lot more noise that follows suit but the the intentions are pure for the most part and i feel like people are in this space for the right reasons they're not motivated solely by money they're motivated because they feel better they see how their loved ones you know have a glow about them that they didn't used to have mm-hmm. and that excites me man that really excites me and i think the more medical research that comes out the more you know grassroots organic natural growth this community sees the better it's just going to keep compounding over time and i'm super excited to be a part of it i yeah. feel very blessed to have come into it in its very early beginning stages because you know I, w- I was able to see it grow from the very beginning and it's just inspiring man like i'm just awestruck at how awesome this space is how everybody in this space is so giving and i'm just excited man the next 10 years are gonna be good i totally agree I think that the fact that the studies haven't even really been done yet, like mm-hmm. there's all the preliminary stuff, you know, and, and Volick and Finney were the guys that really led the charge on this, as well as some research way back in the day. But when those studies come out and we actually start to look at long-term health outcomes on people doing keto, uh, low-carb, fat-adapted type diets, um, I think we're going to see a bunch of good things, you know, because all the anecdotes seem to support that. So, yeah, man. We're in a good place. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. it. Well, we just got to keep doing what we're doing, keep pumping Definitely. out content and spreading the word, and anybody listening has got to do the same, you know. If you've got a, a social media account or a, anything, I mean, if you've got somebody in your life that can benefit from this, I think just sharing it and, like, getting the word out there is the best thing you can do. I think one thing people should keep in mind is when you solve your own problem, it really is a good thing to pay it forward sometimes. And you might think, well, you know, there's somebody else doing that. I don't need to tell my story. But telling your story is really powerful because you don't know who that'll connect with. Yeah. 100%. Sweet, man. I think, you know, you came out here to Arkansas to the compound. Mm -hmm. You spent, uh, I guess it's what, three, four days? About uh, two, three whole days. Yeah, Yeah, three whole days. I have a feeling that we'll have to do this again. Yeah, yeah. Because there's like a million other things I want to talk about. Yeah. So we'll have to do this again for sure. I have to make this like a regular, regular occurring event here. Yeah. Um, but until then, until the next time, where can people go to find out more about you, man? Well, number one spot is Instagram uh, at William Schufelt, YouTube.com slash Will Schufelt. And then all of my programs, my one-on-one coaching, my podcast links, all that kind of stuff is on primalbody.co. Awesome. And if you're watching this and listening to this from your platform, I'm Keto Savage, Robert Sykes. So you type in Keto Savage, you find me. Um, this is cool, man. This is very cool. Yeah, good stuff. Well, thanks for having me out here, man. Yeah. Learned a hell of a lot. Yeah, it's been cool for me because, like, I've always wanted to bring people out here to the compound. I mean, Arkansas is not known for anything in the keto space, so it's mm-hmm. cool for me to kind of like stake my flag in the ground and say, "Look, this is this is me. I'm keto. Here I am in Arkansas." Yeah. And uh, you know, we got the gym here, so we work out on site. You, mm-hmm. you made some keto bricks the other day. Yep. Um, I ate a lot too. You ate a, bu- <laughs> you ate a bunch of them, man. Yeah, I've had a lot. Yeah, and uh, you know you got some of the product shots. So I appreciate yeah. you doing that. Have a legit model here. Taught um, me how to shoot a bow. 
Yeah, that was shot fun. The bow. That was actually one of the biggest parts for me. That's cool. Well, we're we're gonna shoot the bow. We still today we have to work out chest, so we're gonna train chest right now. Yeah. We'll shoot the bow, and then we're gonna go out and get a steak dinner somewhere. So. That's a perfect It'll evening. It'll be good. Shoot champ, man. Until next time, brother. Always a pleasure.